before we get started today, I wanted to give a trigger warning. While we won't be going into much detail about it, there will be mention of physical and emotional abuse. So if this is triggering for you, I'd recommend that you listen to one of our many other episodes. And with that, let's get back to our normal programming. In a household of mostly women, our fights were verbal and involved tactics like the cold shoulder. My sister and I once had a fight that lasted an entire month where we would only speak minimally, being overly polite at the dinner table when asking for the other person to pass salt. Our parents were the ones who ended up breaking and demanding that we stop. The first time I actually saw physical violence was over at my friend's house. His brother was pissed about one thing or another and they started to wrestle, ending with one of their heads punched through the drywall. I was shocked when they hugged it out 15 minutes later. It's amazing the difference in what we define as okay in our relationships and the impact it has on our lives. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Eric Ng, a communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, and this is part three of four of our betrayal series. But before we dive into the conversation with our guests, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. Why Does He Do That? Inside the Minds of Angry Controlling Men by Lundy Bancroft is a book designed to assist women navigating abusive relationships. Bancroft draws from his 15 years of experience as a counselor, evaluator, and investigator working with controlling men and believes that the root of abusiveness lies more within a man's thought patterns than his emotional state. The book is structured in four parts, with the first focusing on understanding the nature of abusive thinking. Bancroft addresses common questions that women in abusive relationships often ask. Was he abused as a child? Is he doing it on purpose or does he lose control? The book continues to detail the mindset of the abuser and the effects it has on their partners. While only one in 10 abusers in his groups will go on to make a significant change, he's driven to help the partners and children that would be positively affected. And with that, let's dive in. Today, we have on Stephanie Ann, an attorney who is not only the recipient of the Governor's Award for Advocacy and Survivors of Domestic Violence, but also a survivor herself. Her incredible journey from triumphing over narcissistic abuse and relationship trauma to becoming an emotional freedom technique practitioner is nothing short of inspiring. In this episode, Stephanie will share her unique insights into healing, growth, and how to release emotional blockages to embrace your true self. With her legal background, she offers a one-of-kind perspective on dealing with narcissists in court, and her role as a dedicated mother adds depth to her ability to guide others on their path to healing. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Erica, for having me on the show today. Before we dive into this big topic, I wanted to ask what emotional freedom technique is and how you got started in that. Yeah, so emotional freedom techniques, otherwise known as tapping, it is tapping acupuncture. Mm. And so tap on the meridian points. And as we're tapping, so say you've been in this relationship and now you have a lot of anxiety once you've come out of the relationship and you want to know, how do I get rid of all this anxiety? So I would work with you and I would ask you, where are you feeling this anxiety in your body? Mm-hmm. Some people might say in the solar plexus or in my head or in my heart, you know, whatever spaces you're feeling it in your body, because our body holds on to trauma. Mm-hmm. 
And so then the first round is really acknowledging and sitting with that emotion that's coming up. And we do several rounds talking through and acknowledging that trauma. And then we do another round of releasing that trauma. So maybe maybe there's another way I could look at this. Maybe I could choose to release it now. And then I take it a step further and I do uh, tapping into the person you want to become. Hmm. So then we tap into like more power statements like, I am brave, I am strong, I am capable, I am um, becoming independent and, you know, whatever it is, I don't use my words, I use, you know, whomever I'm working with, my client's words. And so it might look something like, just for instance, for anxiety, um, even though I have all this anxiety in my body, I'm acknowledging that it's there. And I love and accept myself always. Mm. And then I would walk you through tapping. So even um, though there's all this anxiety, I feel it in my heart. I feel it in my head, all this anxiety. I acknowledge that you were there. And I acknowledge that anxiety was there to protect me when I needed it. And now I am safe. And I no longer need all this anxiety to protect me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we kind of talk through the emotions like that and release it. So I found EFT when I had divorced my second husband, mm-hmm. who was also a, a, a narcissist as well, a very violent person. And I was just desperately searching for something. And one of my friends posted on Facebook about this uh, EFT class. And I actually thought I was signing up to work with a practitioner, mm-hmm. but I, I I signed up to become a practitioner. You know, and so it's always like, I, I truly believe in divine timing. I believe and you know, spirit, God, source, the universe is there and gives us what we need when we needed it. And I really needed this tool, apparently, since I became a practitioner. <laughs> unbeknownst. Um, but I I have just been using it for years. And when I first found it, it was so incredibly liberating. I just spent hours and hours and hours just processing and working through everything and really and letting it go and really mm-hmm. finding healing and freedom there. So it's it's a tool that I now just use every day. I've taught my children how to Mm. use it. And so it's not something foreign when they see me, you know, doing all my weird tapping. They're like, oh, mom's tapping again. Right. (laughs) They know how to do it too. I never knew the name of that. I have actually done that in therapy. I'm now realizing just in a session when I I tend to get overwhelmed and start crying. So my therapist had me tap while retelling the story just to see the difference. Um, and I had, I was able to tell the story much more easily. Um, so it was quite interesting experiencing it because hearing it, you're like, that doesn't really make sense, but actually feeling the differences. Yes. And, you know, we use tapping as well for, like you said, helping you remain present. Mm-hmm. And for, for me, I like the, I tend to be fidgety and mm-hmm. this gives me something to 
to focus on where, you know, if you're just doing meditation, it's like, oh, I just have right. to lay there. I can do meditation <laughs> now. Right. <laughs> but before, when I was younger, it was a little harder. You know, you can rewrite your memories. You can rewrite your brain, essentially, is what you're doing. And after people have spent so many years in abusive relationships, just that trauma wires your brain a certain way. And so mm-hmm. you really have to rewire your brain. And EFT is a great way. It's a fast way to rewire your brain. Diving a little bit closer to our topic today, you brought in a book called Why Did He Do That? How did you come across this book? I I actually came across it at the same time when I learned about EFT. Really? It's, because, it's yeah, funny how yeah. all these things come together. Right? And so I, uh, you know, it was 2020. The world was just crazy mm-hmm. chaotic. My life felt crazy and chaotic. And I, I did not fully know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband, was, who went from being the most wonderful person in the world, uh, you know, with the trauma bond and all that stuff, and then went to the devaluation phase mm-hmm. during 2020. And so it was it was so confusing. I, I did not understand his behavior or who he was or what was going on. And so that's when I found um, that book and all the books really by, by Lundy Bancroft have been super, super informative and helpful. For yourself personally, what about the book stood out? Were there any mm, ideas or lessons that you you really clung to? Gosh, yes, there were. And it was... <laughs> It was a few years since I have read it, but it was just so eye-opening mm-hmm. um, because, you know, a lot of people who find themselves, and I say find themselves because it's not really, it's not like we are intentionally seeking these relationships out. Mm-hmm. You know that something's not right, mm-hmm. but you can't always pinpoint what it mm-hmm. is. And, and that's the difference. So my background is in domestic violence. And I have worked with many, many, many men and women. And in fact, I I did win the governor's award in 2004 for my work. And so, but, you know, even back then, there wasn't a huge emphasis on the emotional Mm. and psychological abuse. I didn't always see myself in an abusive relationship. Mm. And so the book was a little more helpful and shining the light in that because, you know, my first husband, he was a covert narcissist. He was not violent, Mm -hmm. but he was a, a cheater. Mm -hmm. And so I, I chalked all that up to, and I think a lot of us do this in society. We separate the two domestic violence is over here. Cheaters Mm -hmm. are over here, right? How many of us have said that? Oh, he's just a cheater. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's just a cheater. And so for a very, very, very long time, I did not realize that that was abuse mm-hmm. and it is abuse. And so for for me, being able to recognize that, and I think, you know, uh, the book was, was helpful in me seeing that this first relationship mm-hmm. was actually abusive and controlling. Mm-hmm. So I think I see the connection between the two. Uh, I think especially reading the book, they talk about the thinking behind a, 
an abusive person is that they think that their actions that are hurting the other person are justified and they're doing it because they are themselves are the victim or like they have, they don't have control over that. This is the story that they tell. Um, yeah. How would you draw the parallels between what people in society think of as abusive and a cheater? Yeah. So, so like I was saying, I, I feel like at least back then, you know, 10, 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of emphasis on emotional and psychological mm. abuse. And so a lot of the emphasis was on physical violence. Mm-hmm. For instance, if I were to call the police right now and, and say, hey, there's domestic violence going on in my home. Mm-hmm. Will you come arrest this person? And they show up here and they're like, okay, where did he hit you? No, he called me names mm-hmm. and he was manipulating me. Right. Do you think the police are going to arrest him? No, they're going to say, go go to therapy, right. you two. Right. Get some therapy. But that is abuse. Mm. And until we as a society come and say we've had enough of it, mm. psychological abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, it's all under the same umbrella as abuse. Cheating is abuse. If you go to someone and you say, to your partner and you tell them, Hey, what you're doing is really hurting me. Would you stop? Mm -hmm. And they don't stop. That's abuse. They are hurting you and they continue to hurt you. So my, my first husband, when we got married, we didn't have children. Mm -hmm. We were both in university. I was at one university and he was at a different one. And so there was some long distance there, but we would fly back and forth like every three weeks to see each other. And we were our own in our own little world, Mm -hmm. you know, when you first start out in a relationship and everything was great. Well, I didn't start to notice anything until I went to law school. Mm -hmm. And when I went to law school, I could no longer, you know, give him all my attention. Mm -hmm. Now I had five law classes. I had to read 300 pages a night. I had to brief cases. I had to do all of this stuff. And so he felt neglected. And because he felt neglected and he was not getting the admiration that he normally got from me, he chose to look outside of Mm -hmm. our marriage and outside of our relationship for that validation. You know, for him, he's a covert narcissist. He was a covert narcissist. And with narcissism, they have this grandiose sense of self-importance. They have this preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited power, Mm. wealth, beauty. Like they really put their own self on a pedestal up here. And they really truly believe that they are uniquely special and that everyone wants to be them. Mm. Um, And they have this excessive need for admiration, just this huge ego, Mm. um, the sense of uh, entitlement. And so when you take a person like that, and in the beginning of the relationship in that honeymoon phase that we all love, you're, you're able to, to help meet some of those needs. Mm-hmm. But when they no longer become, when I had to focus my attention on something else, he still was the same person who still needed all mm-hmm. that admiration, all that love, all that attention. And so he chose to go seek it from, from other women. And, you know, people would say, oh, well, 
was it always like beautiful women? Cause you're real beautiful and all this stuff. No, it didn't matter. It was just attention mm. is what he wanted. And so for years, he was constantly having these emotional um, connections, mm. these emotional affairs with other women. And I know from, from reading through some of the, the uh, exchanges that they would have, there were lots of plannings to meet mm. up. I don't know if he actually mm. ever met up with any of these women, but, you know, I would, I would bring it up and I would tell him how it made me feel, please stop doing this. And, and he would always say, oh yes, I'm going to stop. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm. Or, you know, he would have some sort of justification Right. Well, you weren't there, hmm. but then, you know, over the years, it just, he kind of just continued on with his life and I continued on with, with my life, but there was barely any trust there hmm. because how can there be, how can you, you trust this person? It, so it sounded like this was kind of ongoing. He would, so he wouldn't apologize. He would blame circumstances or you oh yeah oh yeah or I drank too much he mm. drank too much last night there was always always an excuse always a justification mm-hmm. uh well you were gone well you were out with your friends and uh, flirting with other guys right. or, or this or that you know it was always they, they say that when someone is at least a, for a narcissist when they are blaming you mm-hmm. they are projecting mm-hmm their confessions onto right. you. So he started calling me every time I, I had to do anything, even if I had a, a work meeting, oh, well, you're having an affair with that person. Mm. No, <laughs> you know, and so it, it always, always came up. Oh, well, why are you doing that? Oh, why are you dressing like that? Oh, you're going out with your girlfriends tonight. Oh, because you're looking for guys. Mm. Like, no, I'm actually the most faithful person here. But, uh, you know, it just, it just never stopped. The criticisms never stopped. Right. And, you know, I, I have gone back many times and said, well, why did I stay? Mm-hmm. Why did you put up with it? Why didn't you just go? I had to work through a lot of that. We both came from very healthy families. My parents are still married. They've been married for over 45 years. His parents are still married. They've been married for 55 years. We are had healthy relationships modeled to us. We know what healthy relationships look like. Mm. Neither of us came from chaos. We did not come from broken homes. Mm. In fact, my father-in-law is a psychiatrist as well, you know? And so it's like, oh, we came from really good, right. solid families. But there was just this, this huge need in him, this drive for that validation Mm -hmm. for that admiration for that attention from women Mm -hmm. that it just never stopped and and having the two very healthy examples of healthy families I didn't feel like I could leave Mm -hmm. you know I felt like okay well you know our parents are still married they worked through Mm -hmm. everything we have to work through everything but what can you do when when someone refuses to acknowledge that they even have a problem right? when someone refuses to look inside them. And, you know, he, so I didn't leave. 
I didn't know how to mm-hmm. live. And I think some of that too was, you know, I'm a very successful person. I'm a very driven person. We don't like to fail. Mm-hmm. And it's like everyone in our families are still married. Right. They all have, you know, good marriages and, and we're the failures. Like I didn't want to be that, that failure. You stay, even though you're unhappy and you're miserable and you, you, everything is projected onto you. So you keep thinking everything Mm. is, is your fault. And so, okay, well, maybe if I change myself this way, Mm. or maybe if I change myself this way, and that's why I brought up, like, it's not about appearances and looks. Right. It is strictly about just having the validation from a woman. Right. That's all I want. Right. And I loved the book for all of this. Like you mentioned a few things um, that reminded me of some of the myths that she busts, like abusers come from broken homes, um, like you can change an abuser, all of these different things or that they're not really in control that if I do something that they will change their behavior. Um, and mm-hmm. as I was reading through that, it seems so logical and basic when you're reading it, but I don't think that this is really talked about in society. Like growing up, maybe you see your parents, like my parents are still married. They fought a lot. And I was like, that's probably normal. Like everyone fights and it is normal. Everyone does fight, but the types of fighting that you should be having in a healthy relationship is very different from the fighting that you have in an unhealthy relationship. Yes. I don't know. Is is there any lessons that you've learned either over the years or from reading the book that you really feel like everyone should know, like this should be shouted from the rooftops, shared with everyone to protect themselves and allow us to better identify healthy fighting from unhealthy fighting? Yeah. Um, well, I guess if we're looking at, at strictly fighting, uh, you know, I was, I grew up the same way, you know, I grew up, well, not really, my parents didn't fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if they did have an argument, you know, it was, they must have had it in their bedroom. I never saw my parents Mm. fight at all. And so I, you know, that, that is one extreme though, because I, I do feel as parents, we need to teach our kids how to have a healthy disagreement Mm -hmm. And, and not take all the disagreements and keep it hidden from mm. the kids because how else are they going to learn mm. what is healthy and, and not? For me, I, I do think that, yeah, you know, that we should model healthy disagreements and that, I mean, you, you see it all whenever there's an election, right? right. <laughs> uh, people like can't have a, a healthy right. disagreement. Like I can still love you and I can disagree. And, and some things we might not ever resolve mm-hmm. and that's okay because we can have a, a healthy disagreement mm-hmm. and kids need to see that. Sure. They need to, to see parents who are able to, to state their emotions and their feelings mm-hmm. and feel validated by it. And it doesn't mean you have to agree or not agree. You know, I talk with my my kids all the time. I've been very open throughout both my marriages. Mm-hmm. I have three little boys and I've always emotion coached mm-hmm. them all the way 
you know, so they, they know all of this. They know about EFT. Mm-hmm. They know tapping. And when they have, they get in fights with each other, you know, I have to, I have to sit them down and mediate mm-hmm. and say, okay, Jonah, you tell, you tell me your version of what happened. You tell me your version. Mm-hmm. It's never okay to hit someone when you are mad. It's never okay to destroy things when you're mad. Mm-hmm. And you can be as mad as you want with your brother. I don't care. You can go sit on the couch and out all day mm-hmm. because your your behavior does not affect my response. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's huge because when you grow up and you get in these relationships, you have people who are trying to control and manipulate, mm-hmm. trying to provoke and get a response to get you to respond a certain way. But only if we could just take them all and just start at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. No, you be kind. You say kind words. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, but as far as like lessons in general, mm-hmm. uh, I'll go there because for me, the big part was, was letting go of my victim story. Mm-hmm. So I spent you know, my, my first husband I was married to for 14 years, and then he ended up leaving for another married woman. So, you know, for a long time, it was like, well, I'm just the victim. Mm. I didn't do anything wrong in that marriage. And in my second marriage, the same thing. Well, I'm just the victim. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a good person. I was a good mom. I was a good wife. I did. I went to college. I went to law school. I did everything right. Mm -hmm. But yet in my life, everything was just so wrong. And so I remember just sitting there one day at my sister's house, just sitting there crying, like, I can't see the Mm. lessons. And I actually had started to lose my eyesight. I uh, literally could not see my story. Mm. And as I was sitting there, just crying and like, I don't see any lessons. And if I don't see any lessons, how, how Mm. am I going to grow from this? And I really felt at that point, like, you know, God was saying, Stephanie, you need to see your story through a different lens. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing your story correctly. And in that moment, I realized I needed to shift my perspective and see myself as the her- heroine, mm-hmm. as the hero of my story and not as the victim. Mm-hmm. Because when you're stuck in victimhood, you can't see the lessons. Right. When I was able to become the hero of my story, it gave me power mm-hmm. over my story, not the two men who had inflicted all of this in my life. And once I was able to make that shift, then I could see the lessons. Mm-hmm. And so I could sit down with, with a journal and say, Thank you, husband number one. Thank you for showing me that I need boundaries Mm. and what that looks like because you just did whatever you wanted in our marriage for so long. And I did not have those boundaries. So instead of looking at him as a monster, I could say, no, you were a teacher Mm. in my life and this is what you taught me. And I could say to that same husband, Thank you for showing me that I am worthy of so much more. Mm. 
And so, you know, when I was able to have that shift in perspective, I could see the lessons. Mm. I knew what needed to be healed, what needed to be released, and ultimately break these patterns in my life. Right. I think that's a really powerful way of thinking because it's obviously we don't want to blame victims of abuse. It's nothing they did caused them to be abused. But at the same time, rather than looking at these chapters of our lives as these terrible times, we can look at it as a lesson and be like, what can I do in the future to to prevent this from ever happening again, or share your story or help others who are in the same situation. Absolutely. And, you know, until we, we learn the lessons that we were meant to learn, Mm -hmm. we will keep repeating Mm -hmm. the same patterns over and over again. You know, uh, people ask me, well, how are you married to two narcissists? Well, I will tell you how. I didn't learn all the lessons the first mm. time around. And so when I was ready to date and and put myself out there, when I met my second husband, I manifested him. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge manifester. I've made the list. And a week later, I met the guy who checked off every single, uh, down to details. What, what, were, what was details. your list? I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this time I, I I went for tall, dark, handsome. I was going for you know sexy, mm. right? Um, it, but I also I also put things on the list too, like uh, you know my my first husband was in the medical field, and so I was like, nobody in the medical. We're going businessman here. They must have it figured <laughs> out, <in> businessman, <laughs> right? Uh, tall, dark, handsome. So he's six three, you know the dark hair, olive skin, uh, divorced dad, only with boys mm. because I had boys. And so I wanted a dad that, that could relate. Right. Um, I even think I went so far as to say someone who has, has been in an abusive or, you know, had, had been in a relationship with a spouse that cheated mm. because, you know, right. we would have that connection and that bond. They would understand my past 14 years mm. and why I have all these right. insecurities you don't have to about like certain things. Explain yourself like they, they would just understand. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I, I, I had all these things and, uh, and I met him a week later, like uh, literally right. he fit everything. <laughs> um, and so it, in hindsight, I can say, Yes, I manifested him and I got exactly what I want. And God and all God's graciousness gave me the unlearned mm-hmm. lessons from my first marriage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I can say now because I've done the hard work, I've made the shift, I've, I've learned the lessons and I've broke the patterns. I can say now with confidence that my next relationship will be a healthy relationship but, um, and that's one of the reasons why I also like to share my story as well, because I don't want people to go through, nobody wants to keep repeating the same patterns and and find yourself in the same toxic relationships over and over and over again. Right. You know, it's like, isn't that the definition of insanity? Like you, you keep, (laughs) you keep repeating 
thinking that it's going to change, but it's not. Right. Right. It's not until you break that cycle in your life. That sounds very much like something I am constantly telling some of my friends. I'm like, you're running the same experiment. Like what, why do you think you're going to get different results? Like do something different. Um, Yeah, exactly. So speaking of your list from earlier, you said that you are like your next relationship will be a healthy one. What is on that list to ensure that you find a healthy relationship? What are you manifesting next? Well, <laughs> well, I, I've actually made the list uh, almost unattainable <laughs> because I'm not ready. Mm. So I, I was like, well, you know, he's going to pick me up in his private jet <laughs> And we're going to fly to his super yacht in the Med, mm-hmm. the Mediterranean. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm obviously not quite there. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, okay, God, you know I know how to do this. So when, when someone sends their private jet because they want to meet me in the Mediterranean on their super yacht, right. then then I will, I will entertain right. this person, but right. And I mean, I haven't gotten any invitations <laughs> on any yet, private jets Maybe yet. in a week. <laughs> um, yeah. But well, are there any like red flags that you would now be able to identify earlier on of someone who is going to be abusive or at least might be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, one of the big ones is, really um, hear them when they talk about other women. Mm. What are they saying about their mom? What are they saying about their sisters? What are they saying about their aunts? What are they saying about past girlfriends mm. and past wives? What what are they saying? Because that will show you how they truly feel about women. And so my... Um, my second husband, who was the violent one, he was very disrespectful in the way he talked about women. Oh, all women, uh, all women are abusive. He was very much a, a, a victim mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, all all women are abusive. All women just work the system. They know how mm-hmm. to. They could take a man to court and they can get whatever they want. Women are doing this. And women this and that. It wasn't, I didn't see that in the very beginning, but over, over time, that's how he started talking to women. Mm. You know, in the beginning, he, he loved in the honeymoon phase, he loved that I was a strong, independent woman. He loved that I was an attorney. He loved that all my girlfriends are strong, independent women, successful women. In the devaluation, it was like, Oh, your friends are such horrible people. Oh, your friends again, mm. this and that. Oh, your profession. He just would make fun of my profession mm. all day long. And and so, um, yeah, look look at how, how they talk about women. Um, ask them about their past relationships mm. and what happened. And if there is like this pattern of they are constantly the victim because all these women are abusive towards them. There's a huge mm. red flag from now. Uh, both my husbands were also alcoholics as well. Mm. And I, I didn't see that because uh, my second husband, he drank vodka and he hit it. Mm. And so, you know, it's like, okay, drinking could be a red flag. But what if you don't see the drink? Right. You can't smell vodka. 
and you don't see the vodka bottles. Right. And so, you know, I did not know he was an alcoholic. And, and because a lot of times too, it's not until you are, are hooked mm. and caught in the relationship. And then once they know you're hooked either by, you know, moving in with you, getting you pregnant, marrying you, you know, some of those, those big ones, it's much harder to leave mm. the relationship. And so, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that he was an alcoholic until we got married and moved in right. together. And then I started like finding all these empty vodka bottles all over the place. Right. Um, so, I mean, definitely that's a red flag, right. the drinking for me. What you were saying earlier um, too, with the, like at first it was a lot of admiration and then it went into the devaluing phase. It, it must be so hard to pinpoint that because at first you're like, they appreciate me. They said all these things before. And yeah, maybe they made a couple comments about their exes, but he's saying like, Oh, you're so different. I feel like that's a line that guys always use, right? Mm, like you're mm -hmm. so different from oh, other yeah. girls. I, I had, I, it was oh, reminding yeah. me of this boyfriend that I had. who was like, you know, you're so intelligent. You're so much smarter than all the other women, like women in yes. South Africa. And I was like, they're it's impossible that an entire population of women are unintelligent. Like, what does this say about what you think about women? Like, I don't think this is the compliment <laughs> that you think it is. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. But no. And, and he would, and he would start to say safe stuff like that. Oh, my, my ex-wife was so simple. Right. Oh, she barely could have a conversation. She is happy talking to a wall, you know, like, horrible, horrible things. And, oh, Stephanie, you're so smart. You're so intelligent. You're so all of this. Mm -hmm. Like, you get me. We're soulmates. It was hard to deny the right. soulmate one when I manifested mm -hmm. him. I mean, I, I truly believe that. Right. <laughs> but, and, and that's the thing, too. It's like that excessive mm -hmm. admiration in the beginning. Right. I mean, he constantly talking, constantly calling, constantly you know, to the point where, I mean, I, I liked it too. Right. I mean, it feeds the ego. Definitely. The atten yeah. Who doesn't want the attention? Oh gosh, this guy, like, puts me on this pedestal, you know? And, and actually that, that is something that some of my girlfriends have, have told me. They're like, somebody both of your husbands, that was something that they mm. did in the beginning. And so for me, if someone te over texts me or, overly wants my attention that's a, a huge red mm. flag right um does it does it mean that that they're narcissists <laughs> i don't know but that's just a red flag don't be putting me on that pedestal <laughs> don't be right. like <laughs> enough with with all the charm charming charming people right you know how can you get past a charm and a beautiful right. smile i mean <laughs> Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's hard because it's not like every person who's charming and has a beautiful smile is going to abuse you. So it's it's like, how do you know until you're in too deep to pull the parachute? Yes, exactly. And and with narcissism as well, with narcissists, it's they can mask all of mm. all of the bad stuff, and so you don't you don't know and you don't fully see. Mm -hmm. And so that's what makes it so confusing. 
like with my, with my, you know, with my first husband, I didn't consider it cheating. Even when I left him, I didn't mm. think of him as an abusive person, although he very much was an abusive person. And then with my, my second husband, I didn't, um, the same, like he wasn't violent in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so I just knew something was not right. I just couldn't pinpoint what it was because they, they keep you in this, uh, the state of confusion, right, gaslighting, right, right. you know, I'm sure, you know, we've all heard of gaslighting. It's when they, they try to manipulate and alter your reality. Right. And so for instance, we could say we had a, an argument last night and the next day I'm like, Hey, can we talk about what happened mm-hmm. last night? This is what, what I heard you say. And this is how it made me feel. And he would say, I didn't say that. Mm. So how could that make you feel that way? Mm. I never said that. I didn't do it, you know, deny, deny, or, Oh, you're just so sensitive. I didn't mean it. Like, right. You know, you to take it personally. Why are you so sensitive about everything? And so, you know, they they distort your reality and they turn everything around. So to keep you confused. And so you don't, because again, it doesn't look like traditional domestic violence because it's the psychological, the emotional abuse. This reminds me of like a section in the book where they were talking about how they would try to confuse their partner, like hiding something that they're looking for, waiting until they're frantic and then putting it back. This is like, I, I... it was so hard to believe because it's like who in their right minds would pull something like this? Like that just seems so psychotic. Yes. And no, I, I, yes, he would do that. He would hide my wallet. He'd hide my phone. And I'm like, did you see my phone? No, I've never, I never saw your Mm. phone. You're, I don't know where your phone's at or where your wallet is. Right. But he would put it in places where I knew it wasn't the children. Mm. I knew it was him. Right. And, you know, and they just, and they've, they've been doing this for so long. They believe their delusional world that they created. Mm-hmm. My first ex-husband, when he left for another woman, he never, he, he seriously believed he was not having an affair. I mean, he told it repeatedly. He's like, I'm not having an affair. I'm like, well, you're living with another <laughs> woman and we're married. <laughs> wow. No, no, I'm not. New levels no, of not. delusion or like denial. Right? Right. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you, if you believe something and used to look at that, it could be anything else. They, they create these delusions that they live in. Right. right. I mean, for everyone to see that my, my husband was having an affair we all knew he was having an affair, <laughs> but he, he couldn't admit right. it. He's like, I, I'm not having an affair. Right. I left you. Yes. <laughs> to have your affair. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> we could laugh right. now, but it's like, it, it's crazy. Making. Right. It's a mind F, you know, like, and this is what they do and they can control you it, as long as they can keep you in that state of confusion. Right. So you don't know what really is reality and what's the delusion that they've created. So how do you, how do you get out of that? I'm one of the other um, guests that I had on who was talking about um, the recovery stage of um, 
their partner betraying them was to write things down because it's so overwhelming and there's just so much information that you start forgetting things. Something like gaslighting, that may also help where you're just like, I, he said this at hundred percent happened. It happened at this time might start yes. helping you trust your sense of reality more. Absolutely. And so, you know, when, when the devaluation stage happened, it was in 2020. Mm-hmm. And so the world was already chaotic mm-hmm. as well. And then there's all this gaslighting, all this manipulation, all this stuff going on. And so it was very hard to know mm-hmm. what was true and what wasn't. And so, like you said, I started journaling mm-hmm. and I actually stopped drinking as mm-hmm. well. I know a lot of people drank a lot during 2020. I did not because I could not make sense of, of what was going on. I'm like, I need to be sober mm-hmm. for 2020 so I can understand what is going mm-hmm. on. And, and I kept a journal. And so I could say like, no, that's not what happened. Right. This is what happened. And although I couldn't have that discussion with him, I at least knew I was not crazy. Right. Because they will make you out to feel like you are the crazy one. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, that's what helped keep me grounded in reality was doing this. And then just being like, okay, the issue is not me. Right. It is him. Right. Because that's the thing too. They will tell you, well, it's you, it's you, it's you. It's like, no, I have my journal. I, I, I don't drink. Mm-hmm. I'm very clear you're drunk and you're living in this, this delusional space. And so for me, that was very, very, very helpful. Right. Um, right. And I think that's a really important note to be ending on is that you may love and care for this person, but you, there's nothing in your power to change their behavior and their way of thinking so you need to choose what you want if that is okay for you to be living in. Yeah. 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 And it's, it is not fun mm-hmm. to be in a relationship that is not healthy. Mm-hmm. And when you get healthy, um, you know, there, there's true freedom there. Mm-hmm. And, and my hope is that um, as hard as it is, the listener's, choose you mm-hmm. choose yourself because and that that was a, a big point in the book as well is like they don't change I don't remember the percentage but it was like less than two percent mm-hmm. are actually going to do the hard work right. and change and so we are not responsible for their change we are not responsible for their healing and I think if someone truly wants to change and wants to be with you separate yourself, remove yourself, go no contact, let them do the hard work. And if they're willing to do the hard work and come back healed in a couple of years, then pick up then. Yeah. But more likely than not, you will have moved on to a different place in your life. And I think the book touched on that too. The, the very, very few that actually did the hard work, they all realized that they can go separate ways mm-hmm. because they are no longer the person that they right. were for, for both parties, you know, sure. but it's, it's not our job 
to heal our partner. It's not our job to save them. It's not our job to change them. Yeah. The only person we can control is us. For sure. Um, so if people are looking for you, where can they find you? Yeah, you know, I am I'm on LinkedIn right mm-hmm. now and I'm on Facebook. Thank you so much for being on. I think that the information you shared hopefully can help people understand what a bad relationship looks like and how to recognize it early on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, why I talk about all of this because it's just, Mm -hmm. it needs to be talked about more. We need to see Mm -hmm. more of the, the emotional and psychological side of abuse and, Mm -hmm. and with you and your series on on cheating, cheating is abuse. Mm -hmm. Let's not, let's not keep them separate. Let's put them back together where they belong because it is abuse. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys are enjoying this longer deep dive into this topic, but I I do think that it deserves the time and attention that we're giving it. If you want to get in contact with me, you can do so at Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. I'll see you guys next time.